Welcome to Unveiled Faces, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church podcast. Please enjoy our future presentation. One of the well-known parables that Jesus told is the parable of the soils. All three of the synoptic gospels contain this parable. Uh, You can read it in Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4. And this is the parable where uh, a man sows seed on four different types of soil, uh, but only the seed that fell into good soil sprang up and yielded fruit. All the others failed in one way or another. Uh, Jesus explained the meaning of this parable to his disciples. He told them that it's a depiction of the different ways people respond to the preaching of the gospel. Uh, He said that some people hear the word of God preached, but the devil takes the word out of their hearts so that they do not believe. Um, Others hear the word and receive it with much joy, but they're not rooted in faith, and so they quickly fall away when temptation or persecution comes upon them. And still others receive the preached word, but they're so encumbered with the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world that they fail to produce the fruit of genuine Christianity. It's only when the word is received by faith Jesus said, only when it's received by faith that fruit is born in a person's life. So the difference between the four soils is not whether the word is received. The difference is whether it's received by faith. Those who receive the word by faith bear fruit in their lives. Those who receive the word but not by faith will not bear fruit. Rather, Uh, They'll have the word snatched out of their hearts by the devil, or they'll fall away when persecution and temptation arise, or they'll be choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Now, after explaining the meaning of this parable, Jesus spoke a word of instruction to his disciples. Do Do you remember what he said? Do you know what he told his disciples to do after hearing the explanation of the parable of the sower of the, the soils? What do you think would be an appropriate point of application for the parable of the soils? If you were explaining this same parable to a group of people, how would you conclude your presentation? What bit of exhortation would you leave them with? You can read Jesus' point of application in Luke 8.18. He said to his disciples, Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. Jesus goes on to say, For he who has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. In other words, be careful how you listen to the word of God. Because if you listen one way, you will be given more. If you listen another way, then even what you think you have will be taken away from you. And what Jesus is telling us is that the way we listen is a life or death activity. A person can receive eternal life if he takes heed to what he hears. 
But not everyone takes heed to how they hear. The gospel is preached to them, but they don't listen in a manner that leads to everlasting life. Now our takeaway is that listening to the preaching of God's word is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. It, it will make an impact upon your life as well as your soul. It will change you in profound ways. Every biblically faithful sermon that you hear is either going to soften your heart to be more submissive to God or it's going to harden your heart to be more calloused to God. But the one thing faithful preaching will not do is leave you unchanged. Hence the reason Jesus warns you to take heed how you hear. In 1940, Mortimer Adler wrote a book entitled How to Read a Book. Uh, 32 years later, uh, the book was a success, by the way. 32 year, years later, in 1972, Adler collaborated with Charles Van Dornen to revise and republish the book. And since then, uh, How to Read a Book has proven to be a valuable book that lives up to its subtitle. It's the classic guide to intelligent reading. Uh, one can use at the irony that you would have to read a book to learn how to read a book. Uh, it seems counterintuitive, right? Yet it works. Uh, how to read a book has been so successful at training people to be intelligent readers that it's become mandatory reading in many homeschools, many high schools, and many colleges. I don't doubt many of you sitting here have read this book at some point in your life. Well, today, I'm going to borrow from Adler and Van Doren, which is to say, I'm going to do something that might seem equally counterintuitive. I'm going to ask you to listen to a sermon on how to listen to a sermon. But I'm not intending for this sermon to be a guide to intelligent listening. Rather, I'm intending for this sermon to be a guide to faithful listening. Or to borrow from Jesus, who's uh, an infinitely better source to borrow from than Adler and Van Doren, I'm intending for this sermon to assist you in taking heed to what you hear. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to be people who receive the word of God by faith like the fertile soil in Jesus' parable. We need to be people who receive the word of God by faith so that our lives produce a righteous fruit of a regenerated heart that is living in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. In our sermon text from Acts 17, we have a positive example of Christians who took heed when they, to what they heard. They took heed to what they heard. Uh, to set the context, the events described here happened during Paul's second missionary journey after God um, miraculously delivered Paul and Silas from the prison in Philippi. You remember that story. They got locked up because they cast out the demon, a demon from the demon-possessed girl and, uh, and they were in the prison singing, singing psalms and then the angel came and 
the uh, the door shook open, but they didn't flee. And and the 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 Philip um, the the jailer uh, there in Philippi was saved. And then eventually Paul and Silas moved on from Philippi. And where did they go? They traveled to Thessalonica. Now here's a map. This red line showing the second missionary journey. And right up here is Philippi, where they were in jail. And and having left Philippi, they came over. And here's Thessalonica right here along the coast. And so this is where uh, our story, our our sermon text begins. Um, Verses 2 and 3 describe what happened when they arrived at Thessalonica. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And notice Paul's preaching. Okay? And, and Thessalonians are hearing. And how did the Thessalonians receive this preaching? Like seed that fell on good soil. Uh, many of them at least, many of them received the preaching by faith. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And this upset the unbelieving Jews. Uh, They didn't like uh, how many of the Thessalonians were turning to Christ. Our sermon text says that they became envious of this conversion. And so the Jews gathered a mob together and they set the city in an uproar. Their intention was to do serious harm to Paul and Silas. Uh, but verse 10 tells us that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So if you look back here at the map, uh, once again, here's Thessalonica. Berea is just around the, 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 the little cape here, uh, around the little cove, I should say. Um, it's not very far. It's the next, you know, main city uh, moving south from Thessalonica. The last part of verse 10 tells us that when Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, they did the same thing that they did when they arrived in Thessalonica, which is they went into the synagogue and they began to preach about Jesus Christ. And the Bereans listened to them preached like like the Thessalonians did, and many of them believed, like the Thessalonians did. But there was a noticeable difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians. Look at verse 11. It says that the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, it would be easy for us to read this verse and conclude that there was something deficient about the Thessalonians. We might think that our sermon text is portraying them as the example of what not to do when listening to sermons. Well, that's a partial truth. And partial truths often cause us to miss the whole truth. So let's slow down and carefully assess exactly what is and what is not being contrasted here between the Thessalonians and the Bereans. We're told uh, in verse 11 that the Bereans were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. Other translations render it as more noble or more noble-minded 
than the Thessalonians. And the idea is that the Bereans demonstrated a more virtuous response to, to Paul's preaching. But realize that the Thessalonians were fair-minded as well. The Thessalonians were fair-minded as well. It's not as if the Thessalonians rejected Paul's preaching or despised the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, they believed what Paul preached and they were genuinely saved. That's why there was such an uproar in Thessalonica. The unbelieving Jews were disturbed that so many of the Thessalonians did believe the gospel that Paul had preached to them. The difference between the Thessalonians and the Bereans is communicated with the word more. The Bereans were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. Both were fair-minded, but the Bereans were more fair-minded. How so? Well, look at verse 11. Because the Bereans received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And now there are two responses mentioned here. Uh, the first is that they received the word with all readiness, and the second response is that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things are true. And I submit to you that it's the second activity that made the Bereans more noble or more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. The Bereans and Thessalonians both received the word with all readiness. I think we've already established that point. But only the Bereans searched the scriptures to see whether the word which was preached to them was really true. Now we know that the Thessalonians received the word with all readiness because the fruit of regeneration immediately began to show. And as, as has already, already been noted, that's why the Jews were so upset. Um, they described in verse 6, the Jews that is, uh, that this phenomena that Paul was, uh, that, that was happening when Paul preached, this was, they, they referred to this as turning the world upside down. And they say those people, those apostles, who are turning the world upside down by preaching this message have come here to Thessalonica and they're going to turn the world upside down here too. In fact, that's what they're doing. Um, there were radical changes happening in the lives of the people that are being saved in Thessalonica. But if that doesn't convince you that the Thessalonians genuinely received the word that was preached to them, then listen to what Paul wrote about the Thessalonians in his first epistle to them. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he describes, Paul describes how thankful he is for how the Thessalonians received his preaching when he first came to them. He wrote, For this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. So the Thessalonians were like the Bereans in that they both readily received the word which was preached to them. Paul says the Thessalonians were so willing to receive it uh, and accept it um, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. So here we find the first principle for how to listen to a sermon. Faithful preaching is not to be received as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. 
Faithful preaching is not to be received as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. There's a profound truth to be acknowledged here, brothers and sisters. The the truth is that God works in supernatural ways when his word is being faithfully preached. I'm sure you place a high value on reading the Bible, which is probably something you you have a practice of doing in private uh, or in the context of your family. Uh, And certainly we do the public reading of Scripture here in our church. And you ought to place a high value on reading the Bible because it's the inspired Word of God. But realize, we live in a unique time in history. We live in a time and place where we have easy access to printed Bibles. That's only a recent development in the history of the world. Most people in history didn't have access to the printed word. They were, uh, they either had to go into the synagogue to access the scriptures there, or they had to go uh, into a church where they can have access to one Bible that was shared by, you know, the entire church community, or they had to uh, depend entirely upon hearing the word of God be preached. They had to hear people preach the word, recite the word, read the word, and it was a matter of hearing. Romans 10, verses 13 and 14 makes this point. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In God's wise and compassionate care over the souls of his people, he has ordained preaching to be a vital means for the salvation of his elect. And so God has conferred significant authority in the activities of preaching, the activity of preaching. When a, when a preacher faithfully articulates the truths of God, The Holy Spirit applies those words in the hearts of of the hearers so that sinners are justified and saints are sanctified. Let me show you a few examples of this from the scripture. Uh, In 1 Peter 1.23, Peter tells his readers that uh, they have been born again through the word of God which lives and abides forever. They have been born again through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Now, there's nothing controversial about this statement because we accept that the word of God lives and abides forever. And we, we all accept that the living word is what causes people to be born again. No big controversy there. But two verses later, in 1 Peter 1.25, Peter writes that this word that he just described in verse 23, this word is what was preached to you. It's the word that was preached to you, Peter writes. So Peter is making a connection between the word which is faithfully preached and the word of God which lives and abides forever. And in case you're thinking that this is only true for preaching that was done by the apostles during the first century, uh, Peter shows us that everybody who has been endowed by the Spirit with the gift of preaching has actually been endowed by God to speak the utterances of God. First uh, Peter 4.10 says, each, uh, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
And this is speaking, of course, about the various spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to the church. Um, Peter is saying that every Christian has received a gift and that it's that gift is supposed to be used by that individual to minister the manifold grace of God to others. Uh, then Peter gives a few examples of what that looks like when people use their gifts to, to um, minister the manifold grace of God to others. And the first example he lists is that of a preacher. In the very next verse, 1 Peter 4.11, he writes, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. As one who is speaking the utterances of God. And the word speaks could just as easily be translated as preach. Peter is telling us that preaching is one of the normative gifts that the Holy Spirit gives in the New Testament era. And when the preacher preaches, he's speaking the utterances of God. So we know that the Thessalonians were fair-minded because they readily received the utterances of God when they were preached to them by Paul. And Paul affirmed this when he wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, explaining that he thanks God that they, received, that they received his preaching, not as the word of men, but what, for what it really is, uh, the word of God. So this is the first principle for how to listen to a sermon. Faithful preaching is not to be received as a word of men, but for what it really is, which is the word of God. Now coming back to what made the Bereans more fair-minded than the Thessalonians, it's that the Bereans search the scriptures daily to find out whether the things Paul preached to them were really true. Now, you might question how this fair-mindedness can be reconciled with the principle that I just spent the last couple of minutes trying to establish. If the first principle is that faithful preaching is not to be received as a word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is the word of God, then how is it more fair-minded to question whether the preaching is really true? In other words, if a person listens to the preaching and questions whether it's really true, can that person really say that he's receiving the preaching as the word of God? Well, to eliminate any perceived tension here, let me call your attention to the careful wording of the first principle. The first principle states that faithful preaching is to be received as the word of God. It's not all preaching. It's not everybody who stands behind a pulpit. It's only faithful preaching. So before you accept any preaching as the word of God, you should test to see whether the preaching agrees with the scriptures. That's what the Bereans did. It's not that they rejected Paul's preaching. They merely suspended their judgment until they were able to search the scriptures to see whether the things he preached could be established in the truth of God's word. And when it did, the Bereans joyfully accepted what Paul had preached. And to illustrate the difference between the Thessalonians and the Bereans, let me exercise a little bit of narrative license right now. Uh, if the Thessalonians and Bereans were both sitting here in our worship service, uh, the Thessalonians would be agreeing with everything that was being preached from the pulpit. 
Uh, you'd see them nodding their heads in agreement with everything that's said. You'd hear them say an occasional, Amen! And they would leave the worship service with a renewed zeal about whatever was preached on that day. They would be affected positively by the preaching. The Bereans, they would also be attentive, attentively listening to everything that was preached. But rather than just agreeing with everything that was preached from the pulpit, the Bereans would have their Bibles open during the preaching of the sermon. And they would be following along as the pastor exposited and opened up the scriptures in his preaching. And they would be taking notes on the sermon. They would be noting the essential points of the sermon. They would be noting any doctrinal statements that were new or peculiar to them. They would be noting the preacher's applications that he drew out of the text. And they would then go home and during the week, from day to day, it says, daily they would search these things to, to review their notes, as to search the scriptures to confirm that everything the preacher said is indeed in accordance with the truth of the scriptures. Do you see the difference between the Thessalonians and the Bereans? Both received the preaching of God's word as the utterances of God. But the Thessalonians received it without going through the effort of verifying its accuracy. Whereas the Bereans invested the effort to verify its accuracy. Or to put it in simpler term, terms, the, Th the Thessalonians were passive listeners. Whereas the Bereans were active listeners. Being an active listener is the second principle for how to listen to a sermon. God is teaching us that it's more noble to check and cross-check the preacher's preaching than to just passively listen and accept what the preacher says. This is necessary because every preacher is a fallible man. Even when the preacher has a good reputation for fearing God and being sound in theology, even when the preacher has established himself as somebody that you can trust, it's possible for him to make mistakes. And it's possible for him to misunderstand some things about the Bible. And when these mistakes and misunderstandings work their way into the sermon, he's not preaching the utterances of God at that point. That is not the utterances of God. It's only when he's preaching in accordance with the scriptures and in the gifting of the Holy Spirit that he's preaching the utterances of God. But if you're not an active listener, how are you going to know? How are you going to know what to accept and what not to accept? There should be nothing casual about our listening. It's never just another sermon. It's never that thing that we always do during that part of the worship service. The more fair-minded Christians are those who come to church with the expectation of hearing the utterances of God, but they attentively listen and search the scriptures to verify that everything they heard is truly the utterances of God. So an active listener is not going to be staring out the window wondering why the people in the courtyard are taking pictures. The active listener is not going to be checking football scores on his phone 
The active listener is not going to be making little quips and telling jokes to the person sitting next to him. No, the active listener is going to be listening attentively to the sermon, verifying its accuracy according to what he knows about the scriptures and noting things he doesn't immediately know uh, that he cannot immediately verify so that he can verify them later. The active listener will be doing these things because he wants to be more fair-minded about his faith. He wants to grow in his faith. He wants to grow in holiness. He wants to increase in his love for God and his neighbor. He wants to use his gifts for building up the body of Christ. He wants to present his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He wants to increasingly be transformed by the renewing of his mind. He wants to present himself to God as being alive from the dead and his members as instruments of righteousness to God. He wants to bear fruits worthy of repentance. He wants to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He wants to taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants his soul to make its boast in the Lord. He wants the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. He wants the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, to guard his heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And because he wants the grace of God to purge the dross from every aspect of his life, and because he knows that God's grace operates powerfully whenever the scriptures are faithfully preached, this person is going to be an active listener. He's going to search the scriptures to verify that the things preached to him are true, and when they are, he's going to accept that preaching, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which works supernaturally to transform the hearts and souls of people from sinners into saints and to progress saints in their sanctification. That's what happens under the preaching of God's word. So that's the second principle, to be an active listener. The third principle for how to listen to a sermon is seen in verse 12 of our sermon text. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Now, to believe is to respond with action. Uh, it's to respond with faith. Uh, there's a difference between receiving the word of God and responding to the word of God. Uh, we do both. Uh, James, we need to do both, I should say. James 1, verses 21 and 22 makes this point very clear. James writes, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. James goes on to say that the person who is a hearer of the word and not a doer deceives himself. He's like the man who looks in the mirror but then immediately forgets what he just saw. Uh, in the parable of the soils, the seed that fell on the good soil was the only seed that sprang up and produced fruit. The fruit is the doing part that James is impressing upon us. The other uh, three soil types, um, they did receive the seed We've already acknowledged that, which is to say they received the word of God when it was preached to them, but they never responded with faithful doing. They were hearers, but not doers. 
And here we see that preaching is not intended by God to simply communicate knowledge to people or to give them moral instruction. That's not the intended purpose of preaching. Rather, sermons are the means by which the living and active word of God penetrates deep into your hearts, your souls, and your minds, affecting supernatural change. When Paul encouraged Timothy to persevere in preaching, he reminded Timothy that his sermons were to challenge people to turn away from their sin and draw them closer to God. Listen uh, to what Paul wrote to Timothy as I read from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just pause right there. This is heavy stuff. Listen to how Paul's addressing Timothy. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Now note, note the verbs that Paul is using to describe uh, faithful preaching. Convince, rebuke, exhort. These are things which call for a response from those who hear. They call for a response. It's not just communicating information. It's not saying here, fill your brains with this and now you're more intelligent. No, it's calling for a response. Preaching, therefore, is a comprehensive call to turn away from sin and to draw closer to God. That's the response. And the faithful preacher is God's instrument for the justification and sanctification of his elect. Our expectation, therefore, is that we would hear the voice of God speaking to us in every faithful sermon and that our hearing would lead us to a faithful response that we would not just be hearers of the word but also doers of the word as well and that God, through the preaching, would be working supernaturally in our hearts in order that that response may be the response of faith. Now, brothers and sisters, the Bereans are presented to us as a positive example for how to listen to a sermon. They understood that faithful preaching is not the word of men, but it's the word of God. They listened actively to Paul's preaching, searching the scriptures to verify that the things he said were in accordance with the truth. And when they received what was preached as the utterances of God, they received it by faith. They were not just hearers of the word, but they were doers of the word. They proved to be the good soil that received the word and began to produce fruit. They began to produce fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, others 100-fold. But they all began to produce fruit, every one of them that believed by faith. And this, dear friends, is how you listen to a sermon. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. For more resources and information, please stop by our website at visitredeemer.org. All material here within, unless otherwise noted, copyright Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Elk Grove, California. 
Music furnished by Nathan Clark George. Available at NathanClarkGeorge.com.